1: Plus. All right, not good.
2: Welcome to United Hour, your on-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick.
0: And I'm Jimmy.
2: Two of us getting together here a few hours after a bad day in the office against Aston Villa, we're actually going to be covering two bad losses at home this week, both 1-0, West Ham, Aston Villa, Uh, so it's probably going to be a bit of a depressing podcast, I'm afraid. I'm assuming you're not in a very good mood, Jamie.
0: I've actually managed to calm down quite a bit. Um, Immediately after the game, I was just raging, so, so raging, but calmed down a lot, but I'm sure I'll perk my anger back up as we talk through things
2: yeah that's the funny thing sometimes we do record these straight at full time depending on who's available when but today we're like a, quite a few hours later laterish at night so i guess it does give you a bit of time to kind of calm down yeah we have had some more crazy reactions when we record straight after and there's also only two of us because yeah that's it nobody wants to record after you lose i know I-
0: they throw the toys out the pram. It's like, come on, lads. You can't just record when we're winning.
2: Exactly. Like, you know, win, lose, or draw. We're here ready to do something. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, there was another weird one today because this kickoff was moved at the last minute to being a lunchtime kickoff and then clashed with Chelsea versus Man City. And this was because there was a Cortina's music concert going on at the Old Trafford Cricket Club. So the police moved us. Uh, And then, yeah, I think everybody realised this morning or yesterday that we weren't actually going to be live on TV in the UK. Actually made no difference to me because I'm abroad for work at the moment, actually recording this right now in Marrakesh. Uh, And it's one of those weird things that you go outside of the UK and you can watch every single Premier League game without problems. So I'm sat in Morocco and, yeah, can wander down to the cafe and my only issue... convincing them to show united versus villa rather than man city versus (laughs) chelsea uh because to be fair there was actually a few kind of moroccans there going oh we want to watch chelsea for zh yeah but in the start in the end so i managed to convince them to watch manchester united instead so yeah they're okay with it that's the difference here that you can go in and get them to put something else on but yeah maybe in the end i wish they hadn't bothered watching it uh but no look like i say whether it's good bad or whatever We sit through every minute of every single Manchester United game. But yeah, look, I mean, look, we obviously were coming off a 1-0 loss midweek. I was not that bothered about going out of the Carabao Cup. I think last week there was me and Ran and Com and we were all a bit like, look, obviously we want to progress, but we went out. It's not the end of the world. We've got, you know, more things to kind of focus on. And, you know, last year in the Carabao Cup, we went all the way to the semi-final, went out. And then so in the end, it didn't really work. So I wasn't feeling that bad. But now this Villa loss kills me so much more. Uh, You know, I always say that when we lose any game that I think is of importance, it takes me days to kind of get over it. And yeah, this is going to be one of those really. And, you know, the amount of attacking talent we've got, Everybody talks about the crazy squad we've got. And yeah, we don't even manage to score a goal and not even hardly really deserve to score one today. You know, that was the really disappointing thing. Uh, you know, we always talk about XG and our XG day is kind of showing as if it's OK today. Not like the end of the world. But we did have a penalty, of course. Uh, the XG is at 1.93 versus 1.57 in our favour. But until that penalty in the last minute and i think a penalty is something like 0.75 xg it means aston villa actually had a better xg than us uh, which is shocking you know at home as well you know we talked about how we were going on a run of like several home games that before going into an absolutely mental fixture list that we're going to now have in like, october november And these were supposed to be the easier games in the run-up to it so to like yeah lose here is horrific and like I said wasn't feeling that bad after the West Ham but to have two in a row one nil at home is an absolute killer right
0: yeah um regarding the League Cup game I was kind of the same you don't want to go out not at all but before the game I was hoping that there would be several changes and that we would be able to see some of the fringe players get a bit more game time, the likes of Sancho and Van de Beek and Lindelof in defence, guys like that. And when you saw the 11, there was a lot of changes. And how many times do you see it in League Cup games and FA Cup games where you change, say, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 players? And it's just all over the place in terms of the performance. There's not really any cohesion. You don't get, much of a performance out of those guys because it is such a huge change to the personnel and they're kind of just thrown into the mixer but the other side of that coin is those players are given a chance to try and force their way into the starting 11, put themselves in contention and that's kind of what you're looking for in these games and I thought there was some decent performances on Wednesday, there was some real bad ones at the same time but to go out of the League Cup I wasn't really that bothered I thought we probably played okay and well enough to at least get a draw um the defeat maybe was harsh but no I wasn't overly bothered about that but then as you say you then couple it with the defeat today and it's very damaging because then it's like right well that's two home games in a row in the space of not even a week and we've lost both 1-0 uh, we've also lost now three games in out of the last four in all competitions, which isn't great. I know one of them we were down a man and what have you, but that's it's still not good enough to have lost three of the last four. And it was just just so disappointing. Um, the XG start as you said, I couldn't believe it when a friend sent me a text saying that that before the penalty, Villa's XG was actually better than ours and. That says it all, really. I mean, we had 27 shots, and we still had a worse XG than Villa, who had seven. That's that tells its own story, that that the the finishing is just nowhere near the required quality that it needs to be. Um, I thought there was a couple of players today just that wee bit too selfish and trying to do a lot themselves, um, and not really trying to take advantage of having the extra man with them or trying to look for the other man. They just kind of went themselves. Other ones just were totally non-existent. And it wouldn't have mattered if they weren't playing at all. You genuinely would have, wouldn't have would have noticed that they weren't there. So there's a lot of pressure now suddenly on Ollie because, as you say, the run we've got coming up is tough, to say the least. So you were looking at these games thinking... Get a couple of wins under the belt. Just try and get a bit of momentum in these home games. It really killed us last year in terms of the amount of games we lost at home and drew at home. So you were looking to try and build on that this year and do better. And there immediately we're, we're under pressure already and on the home front.
2: But yeah, and so before there's... today, I mean, we'd smashed Leeds. we smashed Newcastle. Uh, you know, the home fans had had an amazing start to the season. And now, all right, we had that West Ham that was a heavily rotated team. Uh, but today is an absolute killer. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'd say, I said it like a couple of weeks ago, that like the demand for tickets now is huge. Uh, you know, it's partly to do with Ronaldo. It's partly that everybody's back in the stadium for the first time in 18 months. But I've been getting so many texts from people saying, have you got a spare ticket? You know, anyone who's got spare tickets, even, you know, for the likes of Aston Villa, Whereas before, you know, they're kind of like mid-tier games where, yeah, people always want a ticket, but you're not like inundated with requests, whereas, you yeah. know, everybody wants to go back in. Like I say, it's that double whammy of Ronaldo and everybody was excited about getting back to Old Trafford anyway. Of course, like, you know, we'd absolutely smashed at the start of the season uh, two great performances, but this just sets us back so much. It's such a, such a killer of a result uh, I mean, you know, like you say, we knew how this game was going to go. We've dominated possession, 60% versus 40 We had 28 shots versus seven of theirs, but not much of high quality there, and we've not made their keeper work that much. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily bad finishing because um, we didn't have that many clear-cut open chances, really. But, yeah, it was more, I think you did say, bad decision-making where maybe there should be a pass when there's a shot And, yeah, there was a few as well where, you know, players could do better. Uh, You know, Pogba maybe has a couple of openings where you'd expect him to hit the target and he's missed. One was from a corner. There was one where he's curling into the top right-hand corner. Uh, You know, I've always said this about Pogba, that when he's passing, he's absolutely amazing, can hit a sixpence from like 50 yards away. But when he shoots, he just seems to always have that little lack of composure. I mean, he'll still bang in a couple of wildies every season it's exactly situations
1: it score like that. More. Yeah,
2: well, you should be hitting the target. That's the main thing. You know, I said those two chances one ahead from a set piece and one a kind of curling shot to the top right. He should definitely be hitting the target with these. And if he had done, I think both of those go in. Uh, you know, and yeah, there is probably. the only kind of one good save maybe from the keeper was from a Maguire set piece. Um, and then, yeah, Mason Greenwood had two or even three very good openings. And each time, just his first touch just slightly let him down. And then each time he was trying to then kind of make up for that bad first touch and ends up with a bad shot. And there was at least one occasion where, you know, he could two probably, where one, I think he Bruno was screaming for a square ball. Yeah,
0: that's that was the disappointing one for me because he does, the, the initial bit of work he does is excellent where... He moves, he's in an offside position right at the very, very start of when we, we get the possession back. He gets but he gets back into a position between the two defenders. So there's one really deep, there's one who's then pulled across towards Bruno. Mason's right in between the two of them, bends his run, gets after the ball, and then checks inside. That whole part of his movement is excellent. But then the other defender panics because he sees the run that Mason's making. And the check inside. So the defender then comes across. And as you say, Bruno is absolutely screaming for the ball, 12 yards out or whatever it is. Not nobody marking him. The keeper had already moved to the near post because that's that's where Mason was. So you were just when you saw the replays back, you were just like, that's a massive chance that just 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 to square the ball and have the entire target to hit. And he just takes that shot on and it's not even a great shot. It's just a shot along the floor, right at the goalie. And it's, it's one of those, you're just like, you just need to get your head up there. And then it's almost as if, I, I wouldn't say it affected him, but after that, the amount of times he got the ball and okay, there wasn't really much on on some of these other chances. Like I've seen one where in the second half, he had the ball, kind of ran all the way across the box and had a shot and it was again, right at the goalie. And people were talking about, oh, that's just another shot. That one, I I, I can see why he didn't. Because by the time Ronaldo runs in, he hasn't got the pass at all to Ronaldo. He's only got the shot available to him. But there was just other times in the build-up to things, and all he was doing was shooting. Especially in the second half, wide out on the right-hand side and coming into the box, it was an impossible angles where he just, 99 times out of 100, you're not going to score. And he was just shooting into the legs of the defenders, blocked, going out for a corner, blocked, going out for a throw, and blocked, going back out towards whoever was standing behind Greenwood. And you were just watching it time and again, thinking, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep getting the ball out there, just running in and just shooting from there. And every single time the defender's standing you up. So that's what I was meaning by like decision-making. You just, sometimes you just need to just calm it down, be a bit less frantic, and just get your head up and just look for the pass.
2: I mean, to be fair to Mason, it is his speciality, Is cutting in and scoring from what often seems like impossible angles. We do know, you know, we've seen him even this season, bang oh, yeah. in, like some beautiful shots. And yeah, he can do it. But yeah, some days, uh, you know, I have it when I'm playing football, like some days you have a few shots early on, they're not going. And I just think, listen, it's not going to be my day for scoring today. So I'm going to pass these off and let yeah, somebody else the finish. Yeah, yeah, keep hold of it and try and see if I can set somebody else up. Um, and uh, you know the, the thing is as well Ronaldo is also similar he'll very rarely maybe go for the assist when he's got any kind of shooting option uh, and both of them are great finishers so you can kind of understand it but today was one of those days where you know every shot is blocked and so we didn't really even work the keeper anywhere near enough I mean there was other chances as well like Bruno had an earlier one very early on where he had quite a lot of time and space and blast it over yeah blasted uh, it over yeah, and which unfortunately was a kind happened of precursor <laughs> to what happened in the last minute. That, you know, we'll get onto that in a bit. But yeah, so this game, you know, just at the air did not run for us at all. But, you know, we didn't play that well. And one of the, you know, the constant kind of talking points, we talked about the totally changed 11 for the midweek game. And I was really happy to see that. I wanted him to totally change it. There were so many players who needed minutes. And everybody, you know, needed a rest. It was one thing that we talked about so much last season that our players are running on empty. So many of them are knackered. And, you know, once we got to that Europa League final, you really thought last season that, you know, there was lacking a little bit here. And so that maybe this year we can have a bit of freshness by mixing it up a bit. So, yeah, I think today's eleven picked itself. You knew exactly what it was going to be because it was the kind of the first eleven that had played the week before, which is still, still that bone of contention for many of our fans is McFred starting it. Um, I don't have any issue with them starting it. My only issue, though, is that once you hit kind of around the hour mark and you haven't scored and you've not created that many clear-cut chances, then you really want to be seeing a change there. And, you know, we've waited till the 80 kind of first minute, so there's only 10 minutes or so left to make that change where McTominay comes out and Cavani comes in. Um, for me you know it is just it's too late really isn't it and that's another kind of theme that we've had a long way through I mean it's always been my biggest criticism of Ole has been that in-game management we talked about it after that young boy's loss to give him credit we won the game last week against West Ham where Matic and Lingard were brought on and Matic set up Lingard for the winning goal so yeah credit to Ole last week where his changes did actually win us the three points but I don't know. I don't know what minute you were starting to get frustrated. I mean, I wasn't in the match day chat today, as I said, because I was out and about in uh, Marrakesh. But I know you (laughs) normally get quite pissed off quite quickly on when is our first change coming. You're normally demanding it by about half time, if I remember correctly. So I don't know when today you're asking for that change to come.
0: Oh, definitely half time. Absolutely. Because it was one of those games where and anybody who listens regularly knows how much I'll defend McFred and McTominay. But it was just it was so obvious in the first half that Villa's game plan was as fast as they could, as hard as they could. Get up to the back four, press them, and if the ball gets into the midfield, press them equally as hard and as fast. Because quite frankly, apart from maybe Varane and maybe Shaw, the other ones aren't good enough under the high press and under a lot of pressure. And uh, in, the, in the chat, David, Scottish David and I, we were talking about like the fact that John McGinn was playing today for Villa. And we both kind of said we really liked him, massive fans of him, not just for, for like seeing how he plays for Villa, but seeing how he plays for Scotland regularly. He's just a very good player. And he was the one that was leading it from the front, pressing every single player that he could, putting pressure on. And in that first half, we were going through really hard spells, I thought, of of struggling to deal with the press, especially when it went in to the likes of Fred and McTominay. It was just really, really hard to keep the ball, really hard to get out of the press. Maguire was doing it as well, just, just wayward passing and wayward decision-making. Shaw wasn't great before he went off as well. It, you could go through so many players and highlight how much they were struggling under this really fast and physical Villa team. And just at half time I wasn't like irate at halftime. It was more just kind of watching the game and a bit stunned thinking, we've done nothing really in this game in terms of like apart from the counter attack that led to a couple of chances in terms of build up through the game we've we've done nothing because we can't seem to get out of this press and it genuinely seemed for large periods of that first half we were trapped in our own half but we we could barely get out and and that was the half time I just said in the chat there has to be a change here because McTominy's non-existent. Fred's giving it away under the ball. Like, OK, yeah, his work rate's great, his endeavour's great. But again, tactically, in terms of how do we get out of this press, there, there was just no plan at all. And McTominay, Fred in particular, were just not getting their foot on the ball and giving us enough quality to get through that press, to get into Villa's half and actually start building some attacks. So... That was immediately apparent at halftime that you needed a change like Van der Beek to come on for, say, McTominay. Because as I said, he was non-existent in the first half. You could have easily made that change. You could have put Pogba back into the midfield and brought Sancho on. You literally could have made three or four different types of decisions in that halftime period to try and change the flow of the game. And I don't like comparing it to other managers, but if you look at like the, the game last week, between, say, um, Tottenham and Chelsea. Tottenham and Chelsea were nil-nil at halftime, and everyone was saying, this is a really close game, this. like Tottenham are doing all right, staying in the game. Chelsea aren't really struggling or anything like that. It's just it's fairly even. And Mason Mount had played quite well in the first half. And then Tushel subs him off, puts Kante on. Everybody, was, like me and my brother, were watching it, and we kind of thought, I seemed a bit negative, that. And then immediately... Chelsea get five, ten yards further up the pitch. They start really pressing right very hard on uh, Tottenham's back line. They score three goals in the second half and they end up winning the game at an absolute canter. It's things like that that Ollie has to be has to start doing. He's, he's, he's too loyal, I feel, to certain players and he tries to give too much time to certain players when really he needs to be more ruthless earlier in games and it doesn't even it doesn't even need to be half time there was the 10 minutes after half time where again constantly giving the ball away panicking under pressure not being able to get out of tight positions where they were in the in a say wan back right position we just couldn't get out and if we actually somehow managed to get the ball into the midfield there was the, the quality wasn't there to get the foot on the ball, turn and just keep us in possession. Every single time it was like a panicked 30-yard, 40-yard hit up the field to try and get Ronaldo or Mason or Bruno running forward on the shoulder of a defender. That was the only tactic. Just get it into the midfield and just hit it over the top. And it's like, no, just you just need somebody to just get their foot on the ball and just try and calm things down and be, be good enough to have that quality that's going to help get us back into this game in terms of stopping their press and just stifling them a little bit. And to wait until the 80th minute and the decision is is Cavani, it it, it was just baffling. It really was because it was like another example of you're not sure what all he's thinking is there because he must have seen all the way through that second half how badly we were struggling, how much of the game plan, whatever it was, wasn't working. And he had to change something in that midfield. And he just didn't. He just left it as long as he did for 80 odd minutes. And then, as you said, you bring Cavani on with 10 minutes. Okay, that's, how many times does that actually work? That you throw a striker on for 10 minutes, give hope they get a chance and score. It's, it's not good enough for me. And that's kind of why I'm going off on a bit of a tangent now, but that's why I said in the chat I think there needs to be a much wider discussion about the performances because I know, like you said, we smashed Newcastle at home. Yeah, we did. But hand on heart, truthfully, the only game I've enjoyed, actually as a fan watching it this season, has been the Leeds game. That was, that's the only game I've sat and watched and thought, that was a really good game, that was a really good performance, that was everything you would expect. Watching Man United. Every other game, there's there's too much. There's too many times, large periods of time goes by in games and you genuinely don't know what we've done. We haven't had a shot on target, we haven't put any pressure on the opposition, we haven't done anything. The other we just invite the other team onto us all the time. And I know that's because we like the counter. We like to hit it long to get guys in behind. But that, can't, that cannot be your only tactic. Aston Villa at home, come on, you need to be doing better than that. And I know people will point to the fact we've not got the defensive midfielder that we needed to help us play like that. But, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. Surely there must be other ways that we can change it and play to try and beat Aston Villa at home.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's, look, I do agree with a lot of that. I think it's a bit too negative to say that the only game this season uh, was the first game of the season. I thought we actually well deserved to beat Newcastle, even though we were even 1-1 at one point in that game. I thought we were playing pretty well and I was happy with it for sure. And I've been, yeah, happy with parts of other games as well. And even today, I actually thought uh, first half I was okay with it, even though, We'd not created that many clear cut chances. We were dominating possession. We had quite a lot of. Did you not think it had to change, though? Not at all. Not at half time. Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. Like, we were dominating the game. We had quite a lot of openings. And you just said, look, eventually the game is going to come. But the goal is going to come. And then, you know, it's always the same in these games where these teams come to defend. It's just getting that first goal breakthrough that forces them to play. And then we get the second and the third. And, you know, the fourth against Newcastle and Leeds or whatever. And see,
0: I think, I think teams have what that out, though. I think yeah, teams of course have walked out that the, they, the, they want us to do that. Because that's now, if you go back and start looking at other games now, so Southampton away.
2: No, but Southampton moves away. was poor. Those two matches
0: no, no. They were not good at all. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, if you look at the opposition and how they've played against us, southampton away, Wolves away, West Ham away, Aston Villa today at home, West Ham during the week to an extent, and even then, young boys. Every single one of those teams played in a way that was very fast out the traps, closed down aggressively, and okay, it means they might be really tired by the last 20 minutes, and that's inevitably going to happen. But the amount of times we see teams play that way against us because they know if we get the first goal, they're going to open up, which means it's going to be much harder for them. So rather than just sit and wait for that, they aggressively come after us. And the amount of times it leads to goals is, is unbelievable. Whether the goals are fluke, like we've seen a couple of times this season, or a defensive mistake, like we've seen a couple of times this season, that is what teams are doing to us. They aggressively get after us hard and fast. And okay, Villa didn't score until the 80-odd minute today. But the the amount of times they made the defence panic and chances were created. And quite frankly, they should have scored long before they did. And Southampton did. Wolves didn't, but nearly did. There's so many examples of we're, we're so slow out the traps at times. And it's just, it's got to change. Like, that's got to change. And I think the way we play against other teams at home, especially, has to change. You cannot go in with, McF- like, McFred, like Freddie McTominay. I, ju- I just think when you're playing the likes of Villa at home, with all due respect to Villa, surely you don't need to play those two in midfield. Surely you can play Van de Beek in one of those positions, or even drop Pogba in and play Sancho on the wing instead. Like, th- I just don't understand the perseverance with Freddie McTominay Against game and in games that we should be winning light today. That's that's what's frustrating for me.
2: Yeah, I mean look, Fred and McTominay are still our most successful midfield partnership. Yeah, you know, the midfield is the big discussion point of this season. You know, as I've pointed out in previous podcasts, earlier in the season we were having a different midfield every game. And it was partly down to injury. But yeah, he was mixing it up and you know, we had different combinations, like we talk about McFred. Then we had whatever what you call it, uh, Pog Fred <laughs> or uh, <laughs> Pog
0: Titch. Uh, you know, we had all oh, and, uh, man,
2: yeah. Matt, Matt Fred, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all the different kind of combinations early on. And yeah, it, it kind of comes back to each time that McFred are the most comfortable. But yeah, we know what we get. They're just kind of workmanlike. They do the hard work. We, the passing is not good enough from either of them. And that was one big thing that I was actually quite surprised after that midweek game against West Ham that I came out of it saying I was really happy with Matic and both Matic and Van der Beek in midfield in this game. And I was saying, you know, Van der Beek had a really good game here. And then I saw quite a few people online and whatever saying Van der Beek was rubbish and that's why he's not going to get in the team. And I was really surprised because I just thought, especially his passing, you just saw was so much more progressive. you ever see from either of McFred. Uh, You know, so many times he's playing a first-time ball, so many times he's playing a much more cutting ball through their kind of midfielder players up front, which you just never see from McFred. From McFred, it's always win the ball, and then maybe Shaw or maybe Bruno is going to make that pass, or maybe Pogba is going to make that pass. Whereas Van Der Beek was actually trying to make those balls, and the only reason I can think people said that he wasn't playing well was because there was twice he got in quite good positions to shoot in that game. And he put two awful shots in. And I do remember that and just thinking, oh, you know, those shots are no good at all. And uh, there was also one or two times Van Der Beek got slightly outmuscled in midfield. And that's a question mark over him. But he also won the ball in defensive kind of battles in midfield more than once. So, yeah, on the defensive side, I think he did all right as well. Uh, but like I say, it's all about that passing. And that's where you really can't. We know that Fred and McTominay are not the best passers. Not the most creative. They're always going to go for safer, keep the ball options and try and lay it off to the likes of Bruno, to the likes of Pogba, Shaw, to create those chances. Uh, And then, yeah, you know, today when those things aren't happening, you don't get enough. And, yeah, I totally agree that, you know, I was shouting for a change. The only, only kind of thing you can give to Ole is that he was obviously forced into two substitutions uh, that he didn't want to make. You know, one is in the first half where Shaw goes out Gallo comes in, um, and then there's that Maguire thing where I also think that he stayed on the pitch way too long.
0: Absolutely. it,
2: It was pretty clear that he was struggling, and Lindelof first got stripped, he was ready to come on, and then he kind of puts his strip back on. And I think, yes, there is this thing that sometimes Ole puts kind of too much faith into the players, like you say, and it's the reason why they love him, and it's the reason why the whole team is really behind Ole, because he puts a lot of trust into them. And you can see he's saying to Maguire, uh, "Are you okay?" And Maguire is the sort who, like, is going to play through the pain barrier. He's going to try and stay on there, unless he's literally like on one leg. He's going to say, "Yeah, I'm okay," Whereas, it's quite clearly he wasn't okay. And you know, that. He then makes that one tackle and gives off a yellow card, where he should have got a yellow card basically for was McGinn around the like, halfway one. line, yeah. right? He was very lucky to get away with it. And there was a couple of others where you could see that he needs to come off. And, you know, O'Lean maybe needs to step up and make that call and not be putting too much onto the captain and just saying, listen. And, you know, he, Lindelof was stripped off. So he should have just said, right, make that change. Let's not take the yeah. risk. And, you know, that is a big worry, basically, for Shaw and Maguire. Uh, you know, we've not had too much info yet about their injuries. Or where they're going to be at and you know there were both players that we had mentioned on previous podcasts that look to have a bit of like a uh, euro tournament hangover after having played all the way through to the final and gone straight into the season i could think see that both of them seem like slightly tired already which isn't that surprising when they've played all the way to the final and don't get that much of a pre-season break and now look you see them getting injured and you know we have to wait for more information of how long they're out that is the only thing, though, that you can give to Ole, that obviously he's had to make those two subs that he didn't want to make. And Maguire, as well, is right around that time where you might expect a sub to come. Like, there's no way I expected Ole to make a sub at half time. Like, when we're drawing a game, he's never, he's never made a substitution unless we're losing the game. So I don't expect him to. And I don't even have an issue with him not making it. Because, you know, it's nil-nil. We, are, we were still liking the ascendancy in the game. Uh, had more chances, had more of the ball, but by the 60th minute is when you I start expecting to see changes. Uh, you know, Alex Ferguson nearly every week made a change around the 60th minute. If every like weekly basis, he would change somebody, even if it's just for like fresh legs. Uh, you know, and that's one thing and never understand yeah. with Ole that even if you think the players on the pitch are the best ones, that Bruno, whose runner is bollocks off for 70 minutes, somebody else is still going to give you more who's totally fresh for 20 minutes, even if you don't think that he's as good. But fresh legs, surely there has to be more kind of put into that. Um, but yeah, as I say, today that Maguire injury was the one, I think, and that is the reason why he was really trying to leave him in, because maybe he did want to make a change, but then he's forced to take out Maguire, bringing Lindelof, and then he's worried, of course, that if I make another change now and somebody else gets injured or cramp or whatever, that I don't have somebody else to bring in. Uh, you know, so that's the only little thing that you can give Ole kind of a free card there because, yeah, he's forced into two substitutions they didn't want to make. Um, and then he's waiting till the 80th. Still, though, you know, I would have wanted to see that change come, whether it's around 70, 75. For me, 81st minute is too late. It's not enough time for the player to come in. It's not enough time for him to get used to the flow of the game. And especially when you've made that change, Cavani, who's not really played yet this season, uh, you know, if you bought in Lingard or Sancho, who at least have been in there and around, I could kind of understand it. And I, to be honest, it wasn't really long enough for me to understand what the game plan was then with Cavani and Ronaldo on at the same time. You know, I was trying to see who is it, yeah. Cavani, has Cavani gone straight up front and has one of them gone wider or are both of them in there? But, you know, that kind of 10 minute period, I couldn't quite tell. I don't know what you felt how it went. Did he send, did he, was he, was both of them just sent right into the box or was one of them playing in front of the other? Do you think?
0: I don't know because, as you said, Giovanni's hardly played and I thought Sancho actually played played well on Wednesday and
2: was surprised to. For me, the form player is Jesse Lingard. Like, you know, Lingard as well. He's the one who deserves to come in at this moment. Off the bench, he made a difference against West Ham. He's looked good every time he's played this season. For me, he's the one who should have been coming in. He deserves yeah. the place. He deserves that spot to make the difference. And he has made the difference. Like he doesn't, He's done it just last weekend. But yeah, all right, I know that, he's played midweek and maybe uh, always thinking he's tired. But still, for me, Jesse Lingard should have been the first change.
0: That's why I was saying, like, when I was watching the game, thinking you have to change something here because... You were looking at the bench thinking there's there's decent options there, there's really good options there. And that's why, okay, Maguire has to get subbed. And I think it was Ashwin said in the said in the chat, um, he's like the, the you know, the knight from Monty Python. It's just a flesh wound. He'll just keep playing and playing and playing unless he's got no legs. And yeah. that is what Maguire's like. And um, even then I was like, right, give give this 10 minutes, like after the Maguire sub because you need to get Lindelof on. Give it five, ten minutes. And if it's exactly the same, just make the other sub. As you said, give give whoever's coming on 20 minutes to try and affect the game. And I genuinely, I was surprised it was Cavani. And all right, it was far too late. That's the first thing. But the second thing was, I was really surprised it was Cavani. I thought it might have been Sancho, because as I said, I thought he played well on Wednesday. And I thought, as I said, he would maybe have moved Pogba the midfield for McTominay and then just said to Sancho, right, you go wide left and it's a little bit different We can get Paul back into the midfield and we can try and pick out a few more passes in midfield I thought it might have been Lingard as you said, because Lingard played well when he came on last weekend and I thought he played well in midweek as well, so I thought he might have come on and that would have been the same thing, you could have made no, rather than just a personnel change, you could have actually tried to change the way we play and by bringing Cavani on, he's kind of done that. But the only thing I could kind of think what, what he was trying to do, maybe not quite 4-4-2, four, four, but certainly go with two up front. But the, the quality into the box just wasn't there all day. And it was like, we, we aren't really struggling with regards to getting the ball into the box. We're struggling. To create genuine opportunities to score, because as, as we've already mentioned a couple of times now, with over whatever it was, twenty eight shots on target, eh, sorry, twenty eight shots overall, with only seven on target or whatever it is. So you can see the sh- the, the shots isn't the problem. It, it's trying to get clear cut opportunities to get us in place to score. So just putting Cavani on, it just felt. This game isn't really calling out for that. This, this game's calling out for us to try and get a little bit more width on the left-hand side, because Pogba just kept coming in every time he got the ball in the second half. I genuinely thought all he was doing was just cutting into the near edge of the box on the left-hand side. And every single time on the left-hand side, if anybody was going to the byline, it was it was Dallow. There was nobody else going to the byline, there was nobody else coming in from that left hand, like the wide left hand side to attack the inside of the box. So I, I just, I was just surprised when it was Cavani, and between hardly any playing time because of injuries and other issues, and that's is the first time we've seen him since the Wolves game, I think, and even then he wasn't on the pitch for very long.
2: Yeah, I, I guess. Look, I guess it's allay's thinking is just. That, you know, Ronaldo was being absolutely occupied. They had three central defenders, and between them, they were virtually marking Ronaldo out of the game. He didn't have a lot of the ball, he didn't have a lot of openings. When we had those openings, it was more you know, Greenwood was the one who kept getting those chances and was not managing to finish them off, really. He was where he was coming through. So I guess he was just thinking if I throw another player into the box, it's going to occupy the defenders, and maybe we can get that chance. I guess the so yeah, know and that is actually goes back to Ole days, but Fergie used to have sometimes four centre-forwards and just lob them all in there and hope for the best, as we had, you know, going all the way back to, like, uh, the 99 final and stuff. And so let's just keep throwing in more centre-forwards. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I do agree with you. For me, Cavani was not the one, and it had to be a bit earlier, even with that kind of thing of two, four substitutions. I still needed that change to come early. And then, look, you know, let's talk about the end of the game. Cavani comes in. You can't <laughs> say that we really created that much I mean, it, there was quite a lot of focus on the camera today of, um, on our new coach, yeah? Eric Ramsey, all about set yeah. pieces. Uh, you, know, you could see him talking a lot to Gallo when he came in. You could see him talking a lot to Lindelof when he came in. So he's obviously got quite a lot of importance on the tactical side, on who's going where on set pieces and everything. And you know, we were, when, I'd say in general, we've definitely improved on the set piece side this season. You know, it was a major flaw in the team last year. Uh, We've looked much more solid defensively and we've looked more likely to score attacking-wise. You know, both Maguire and Pogba went close today, uh, not from set-pieces. But in the end, it is a set-piece that undoes us. Um, I mean, it it, uh, slightly... Cavani is the man who's on him. It's Courtney House, right?
0: Yeah.
2: And Cavani, obviously, he's not just come on, but he's relatively new to the game. Whether that's, like, the difference... Uh, you know, I guess McTominay would have been on him before and it obviously marked him pretty easily. But, you know, Cavani is a very good header of the ball. But I think it's just that thing when you change it. And credit as well, to be fair, to the header and the ball. It is a very good, you know, you see those kind of goals going in quite a lot from corners. So, yeah, credit to the guy house for, like, finishing that off. Uh, but there is a big question mark over offside on this goal. And Ole was definitely complaining about it post-match. I didn't think enough was made about it during the game, actually. It was only like quite a few minutes after when they they started showing the replays to show that they quite clearly, I think it was Oli Watkins, was absolutely in an offside position. Then the question mark is, is he interfering with play? And he's pretty much actually touching David De Gea at the point that the goal goes in. He's like right next to him, right on him. So for me, it's like, when they talk about players not interfering with play and they're right next to the goalie, like literally in front of them, I find that difficult to say that that player is not interfering with play because he is 100% offside. And So the only question mark is, is he interfering or not? And I really don't think enough was made of that in the game. I I don't know what, as I said, I'm watching this in Morocco. It's being sports, different probably commentary team. Um, uh, You know, I know you're (laughs) not watching Sky. Let's not talk about where you've been watching the game. But yeah.
0: Even on the highlights, though, because Sky have started putting like the highlights on. I think fifteen minutes, so like more or less from quarter past five. Because I was only following it on the, um, like on the text chat that Sky do, and then you can see highlights and stuff like that on Twitter. But then at five fifteen, Sky put all the highlights on from any early kickoffs or the three o'clock kickoffs. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of, I've get to. Ways of thinking on this because all we complain about afterwards. Okay, if he's if he's got a claim, fine. But I just was annoyed that when he was getting interviewed, that was his go through thing. Because just for me watching our performance today, I was like, that that performance was absolutely shocking. It was nowhere near good enough. And the first thing you're complaining about is their goal. They've, they they should have scored two or three other ones. And they yeah, but that's that's it, one that's they, the they've typical, got the rubber the green, fine.
2: Old, but like, what I'm Alex saying Ferguson is, Ferguson always did that as well. You know, you have to divert yeah. But, you're not going to come out and say, Listen, we were fucking shit and we were all awful. You're going to blame the other, blame the ref, blame everybody. Yeah,
0: but I don't even, but, but I'm not even, I'm not even as convinced though. Because I, when I saw the replay back, I, I wasn't that bothered. Like, I know some people are saying, Oh, like you said, they are, oh, it's this, that, and the other. When I was watching that Leicester game last week and the one was ruled out, I didn't even know what it got ruled out for. I had to rewind it about three times on match of the day because I genuinely didn't know why, why it had been ruled out. And they said he was interfering with and it was like, no, he isn't. He's, he's not even standing anywhere near the goalkeeper's island. He's so exactly, just standing next to the goalie.
2: Exactly. what today, so, he's right next to him. He's actually touching the hair at the time the ball goes in. Um, but how can you not be interfering with play?
0: I maybe, I, maybe just the way I've seen it, I've not seen it enough. But genuinely, I, I didn't notice anything like that. And the fact that even the commentators never said anything about it at all in the highlights is probably just kind of solidified. That's why I don't I, I don't really have too much of an opinion on the offside, to be honest with you, because when I saw the replay, I have never really thought that much about it at all. And then in the, the highlights, thing is, is that barely showed Hawkins anything. It's not, not
2: within the sight to where that ball is going in. So you could maybe say that, listen, he's not really impeding De Gea, which is fair to say, but he is offside and he's right next to the goalie. So I think there is definitely a shout there. And whether VAR have looked at that properly or not, I have no idea. Uh, You know, there's still a lot of question marks on VAR this season. I personally... I don't know what they're looking
0: at. I I don't know what they're looking at anymore. I really don't. I mean, when a goal scored at the moment, you kind of erupt like you usually do celebrate but then your immediate thought is then actually hang on is there going to be any reason that this is ruled out because you just don't know anymore you just don't know the are whether they're going to interfere rule, rule stuff out, go back to a previous uh, phase of the play to rule the, to rule the goal out but as I said the fact that I was seeing it on the highlights and they played it back Twice, I think, from two different angles, and I didn't really see any interference like that. And then, as I said, the 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 commentators never even mentioned anything about possibly VR having a look. So that's probably skewed my thing on it. But
2: just yeah, VAR no, as I say, over really, here, they did make a bit more about know. it. Uh, it is interesting, how you say. You know, this kind of colours your opinion of the game. How much do the commentators focus on it? How much do they make a big deal about it? I'm actually watching B in Sports over here. It's a different commentary team. And they did actually go into it a bit more. And then, you know, I spoke to a couple of people at home and they're like, oh, they barely even mentioned. I didn't even know it was offside. Uh, You know, it wasn't even made a big deal of at all. Uh, So, yeah, it's something to go and look at. But yeah, look, as I say, we still were not. It doesn't take away from the fact that we weren't good enough today. But still, we did have a chance to save a point here because, you know, minutes later, the same player, Courtney House, um, gives away a penalty. It was a kind of similar thing to our penalty against Luke Shaw last week where, you know, 10 years ago, they would have said this is ball to hand. The player's too yeah. close. It's not a handball. But in the modern game, that is a handball. Penalty goes. Then we've been waiting weeks to see who is going to take our penalty. And, uh, you know, every, last week I know him said, look, it's going to be Ronaldo. There's no way it's going to be anyone apart from Ronaldo. And today we had a couple of free kicks that went. And, you know, Bruno let Ronaldo take them, even though they weren't particularly great efforts. But yeah, this time Bruno obviously decided, listen, I am the penalty taker at Manchester United. He's only missed one out of, I think, 22. His penalty-taking record is way better than Ronaldo's over the years. I mean, he's not taken as many, obviously, but I think I had a look at it. And Bruno, was before today, was at 91% success. Ronaldo's at something like 82 or something like that. But obviously, he's taken a hell of a lot more penalties than Bruno has. Uh, so, yeah, I think it is totally fair that Bruno said, listen, I am the penalty taker here. But that is the worst penalty I've ever seen oh Bruno take gosh. for us. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't think, I, yeah, even the one he missed, he didn't miss. He was like, you know, uh, kind of poor shot uh, saved by the goalie. And this one, to just absolutely sky it. Uh, I mean, it was a lot of bullshit from the Villa players. Standing around trying to put off and whatever, but still, a player like Bruno, he's been in situations like that before. It shouldn't be a big issue for him. And just to miss the target completely, I just, I don't know, I don't know. What can you say about that? Or just, you know, I saw a little bit afterwards in the post-match where people are saying he's thinking too much about it because of the Ronaldo thing, and that's put him off. I don't know what you think about that.
0: I don't know about that, but I, I didn't expect him to miss because. Um, the Brighton one last year, you know, where uh, the penalty was given after full time, and we had to kind of stand around and wait because VAR were looking at the handball. They eventually gave it, and even after they gave it, it was kind of the same thing with the Brighton players engaging in a little bit of argy bargy, um, trying to put them off, and then Bruno smashes it in the top top bin, and so. Even when I saw the the Villa players kind of mucking about, I think it was Imran said in the group chat and I agreed with him. He said, why are the the Man United players not getting involved there? Like, if anything, the United players need to be going and kind of shoving the Villa players back and, and getting them out of the road. But all that aside, I still didn't expect him to miss the target because we've seen him score so many pressure penalties. And like I said, that Brighton one, he was standing about for ages and there was a lot of... Shithousery going on, if you like, and he still scored. So I didn't expect it to affect him, but man, that penalty must have hit the top stanchion in the Stratford end. It was absolutely horrendous. And uh, it was interesting what you were saying about Bruno as well, because one thing I did notice somebody put it up on Twitter as well, saying Ronaldo did have a couple of free kicks, but the first free kick we actually got in the game that was in an attacking position just outside the box, it was Bruno that took it. So was, was it a direct interesting. that one? Yeah. It was just just interesting. that So the first direct free kick we had in the game, Bruno took it. Uh And then Ronaldo took the ones after that. And then the first penalty we've got, Bruno took that as well. So I'm wondering if what they've actually done is said, right, Bruno, you took them all last year. So until there's a major cock up, you're going to keep doing that. And then unfortunately, obviously, Bruno's missed today. So I would absolutely imagine next time we get a penalty, it will be Ronaldo. Because I just yeah. thought that was interesting. It was an interesting parallel just to say, well, the first free kick we got today, it was Bruno. And the rest after that were Ronaldo. First penalty we've got of the season, it was Bruno. And if we get another one, say, against Everton next week or whatever, I would probably expect Ronaldo to be taking it next time.
2: Yeah, and, you know, fantasy managers everywhere have been waiting for this moment. I mean, I had sold Bruno to bring in Ronaldo, and I know a lot of other people had done that. So I think (laughs) when Bruno stepped up, they were probably not as happy, but uh, they then yeah, he missed it anyway. So as you say, yeah, let's see now when the next penalty comes up. It will be still interesting to see who takes that over there. Um, You know, quick mention as well to the fact that Courtney House, who scores the goal and gives away the penalty. It's actually his first start of the season because Axel Tuanzebi has played every other game for them. And he's only playing this game because Tuanzebi's not able to play because he's on loan from us. So he wouldn't even normally be playing for them. And he's only even like I say it's his first league start of the season. Uh, and he's only there because Tuanzebi's ineligible. But I thought he
0: actually played well to be fair, other than, I, know, I know he gave the penalty away and he scored, but other than that, I actually thought he played quite well because I noticed a few times second half in particular when Villa had the ball he was more or less stepping into the midfield to kind of help drive them forward a little bit and then just give it to their their midfielders and he was just a player that just stood out for me I just thought he had a good game
1: Yeah
2: look let's move on from that like I say depressing and we can still moan about it a lot Uh, and yeah as I say we should talk it's two losses in a week like I say, don't want yep. to put too much on that other one. But yeah, these were four home games in a row we had coming up. So we've got two more coming up in a week, which is Villarreal and Everton. Just before we get on to that, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped are back. And if everybody has joined us with the 3.0, their big thing now is their 4.0 package, which is their brand new spanking over there. And yeah, it's the Performance package, which is their kind of all singing, all dancing range of everything. You know, we had that nice box we get right with all the little gifts in it. And okay, Uh, the focus is always on that lawnmower trimmer. So now they're on their fourth generation cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce your grooming accidents. And yeah, I think it's got some kind of spotlight on it as well to so make sure you get right in over there. But yeah, the thing I still use the most of all is that Weed Whacker for your nose and ear hair, which is a cool little thing in over there. I think actually I seem to remember you never got that one, did you? So yeah, I still need to hit Manscaped up for a new range of stuff. I remember you passed yours on very kindly, didn't you, to one of the editing guys.
0: Yeah, I did, yeah. But the um the more the the weed whacker one is the one that I was after because I passed that on and that was very good. But the other device was excellent as well. If I, and if that's the new four point oh one out, I can imagine that's even better. And I quite like the, uh, the weed lotions and that you get as well. They were always excellent. So good company.
2: Yeah, like you say, that is the performance package, which is their big box with all the stuff in it. You get the main lawnmower trimmer. You get the weed whacker for your nose and ear hair. There's boxer shorts, a t-shirt, crop preserver, ball deodorant crop reviver ball toner Excellent. so yeah the whole load of things in there so yeah go and check that out the performance package 4.0 go to manscaped.com use the code united hour for your 20 percent off and yeah loads of you have used it thank you very much to you all it's helped the podcast massively and yeah manscaped are going to be sponsoring us till the end of the year at least so look let's look ahead to these next two matches uh you know relatively you thought that Carabao Cup, and then Villa with the easy two, then we've got Villarreal and Everton coming up. Villarreal is obviously going to be billed as this kind of revenge mission from that Europa League final. Uh, You know, I still think we were kind of unlucky that day, but they defended for their lives, and I guess we're we're just expecting exactly the same, right? Uh, You know, this uh, Unai Emery, and he's got that defence all down. I was actually looking... Villa Real's results so far this season. They've played six times in La Liga. Five of them have been draws. Four of those have been nil-nil draws. So we just know exactly oh, what they're going to be coming for. They're the absolute draw, board draw specialists. And if you go back in the history of Manchester United versus Villa Villarreal, we had played them in the Champions League in the past. Every single game we've ever played with them was a draw. And even, like, three of those were nil-nil as well. And this goes back into Fergie days. So it's just got, like, draw written all over it. Um, But we shouldn't, like, take them lightly either. Because I say, look, they've had so many draws in the Liga. But one of those draws was Atletico Madrid. And then, yeah, I think today, if it's hit full-time already, yeah, they've managed a nil-nil draw with Real Madrid today. So, look, they're going to be absolutely no pushovers. But they even drew their other Champions League game. It was 2-2 with Atalanta. Uh, So, look, (laughs) draw is written all over the cards here. But after losing our first game at Young Boys, we have to win this. Uh, You know, now that we've lost that one away and we've still got our other two away games, in theory, are going to be way more difficult than Young Boys at Atlanta and Villarreal. So, we've got to win our homes to get out of this group. Uh, So, you know, a draw, it just isn't going to be good enough, is it?
0: No, definitely not. Um, As you said, that was the easiest a wee game on the cards, really and we've knocked that up so the pressure's always on in, in the Champions League in the sense that you have to win your home games if you want to do anything in re- regards to getting out the group you need to win all your home games so that's a given but they are just the draw specialists aren't they I mean nil-nil what is that four times in La Liga the amount of times we've played them and it's just this nil-nil as well I mean I know we it was a score draw in the Europa League final, but you're just going to expect to see what we always expect against Villarreal—a really. tough and they also game. they also because... managed to
2: draw against Chelsea in the Super Cup, and that went to penalties <laughs> as well.
0: <laughs> I mean, you just know what's coming on Wednesday, It's going to be a very hard game in the sense that they're going to be really tough, they're going to be really tough to break down. Um. I quite like a few of their attacking players, I remember Romero scoring against us in the final and he looked he looked a good player, and um, I'm not sure if he's gonna be available for them. um I know Cocalan was sent off in their game against Atalanta, so he won't be playing but they are they are a good team as you said there's certainly no pushovers, so the pressure's already on in the sense that you have to win your home games to to give yourself the chance of going through, but more so with that stupid. Terrible loss in uh, Switzerland a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, it's a massive game on Wednesday. The pressure's on. and That's that's where the last two games have been so disappointing and frustrating as well because it was already a big game in isolation. But losing today, losing last week, that's, as you said, three out of the last four. That's two in a week. And then we've got another game on Wednesday that pressure's just starting to build and build. And and it's going to be a a big performance is demanded on Wednesday, not just in terms of the result. The players will need to stand up to be counted, I think, on Wednesday, because it will be really tough. And as you said, we've then got Atalanta twice, and I don't know if any of the listeners have watched much of them, but I saw them a couple of times in the Champions League a few seasons ago, and then I paid a bit more attention to them last season. They are a very fun team to watch. They score a lot of goals, and while they concede a few, their mantra is the old Real Madrid thing: it doesn't matter if you score three, we'll score five.
2: I think and, though that will suit you... us much better. We love. Playing oh yeah, that that will suit us. Like remember last With season the... when we played like Real Sociedad and they were just very naively not defending, and we absolutely smashed them. That will suit us down to the ground. Yeah. Our much bigger problem is going to be Villarreal. Who are going to come to yep, defend, who are going to come to try and nick one, as they did in the Europa League final. Um, but yeah, you know they've managed to keep their big players as well. So you compare to when we played them in the summer. You know there was a lot of links with Paul Torres. He's still there. Yeah. Moreno, their centre forward who was at the Euros as well, is still there. Uh, the only I was having a quick look to see who they bought in, in the summer, and their only people will might remember Arno Danjuma, who was at um, Bournemouth, uh, kind of like a tricky. Week oh, out. yeah, I remember uh, him, yeah. He's uh, been their only really major signing of the summer. They also made permanent Juan Foy, who had already played against us in that final. He was on loan last year for Tottenham. He's now gone there permanently. But he's yeah, not
0: he's a going, player
2: as well. Yeah, so. he's, like I say, so it's going to be a very similar team that we played in the summer. So at least all that scouting and all, it should have been done already. And yeah, look, we need to make up for that. We need to make up for that. This um, big issues at the moment is, I don't know whether Shaw whether Maguire a fit. And, you know, just talking about that West Ham game quickly, is that I actually thought our second string did pretty well. I was generally pretty happy with the performance, even though we lost. Apart from uh, Tellez, who was absolutely awful, looked every bit a player yep. who's not played the whole season, and Anthony Martial, who was just absolutely Shocking. Um Martial, I just don't know where we go with him now. Like, when you see players like Ronaldo, who are 10 years older than him, running faster, running further, then you just, there's just no excuse. Like, you know, even if you're not finishing whatever, you need to move, you need to do something. So, yeah, I don't know. For me, now we've got players coming back, Cavani's back, um, Rashford might be back soon. For me, yeah, Anthony Martial shouldn't even be making our bench. Uh, Even today, I was like almost saying, look, Martial's done well to be on the bench because players who did pretty well midweek Like uh, Juan Mata, uh, Eric Bailly, uh, you know, they're not even making our bench for a game like this. It really does show the depth of our squad now that players like that are not even going to make the bench. And yeah, you know, Anthony Alanga, players like that are still not even anywhere close to getting on our bench. Uh, So for me, yeah, Martial, never mind getting anywhere near the team. He doesn't even really deserve to be anywhere near our bench.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, that was just atrocious. On Wednesday from him because, as you said, the defeat wasn't great, but there was quite a few performances I thought were good. I mean, just the name, the as well, because I actually have been impressed with him since he's come back. And okay, he's not going to set the world alight in terms of his some world-beating right back, but I certainly think he looks a bit stronger. I think he looks a bit fitter after his loan yeah,
2: last yeah. season. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he's a good
0: Yeah, definitely. But Martial, man, as you say, if. You, People, people said before Ronaldo come back, you know, he, he's just going to stand up front and you know, be that battering ram that stands about in the box and waits for it. Ronaldo's been, no matter what you say about him, the work ethic in him is unbelievable. Even today, closing down players who, he's on the left-hand side of the pitch, and I, can't, I think it was Tyrone Mung's got the ball and was just kind of sauntering along with the ball. Ronaldo's literally charged right across the line to go and close him down. The ball gets deflected off him goes to the fullback, He then chases the fullback down and puts the ball out for a throw-in. And the fans responded to that because you could just see the work ethic was there rather than just to let the other team pass the ball about. He was just running hard, closing them down, and it was an excellent work ethic. That from Martial in midweek, I mean, as you say, I don't even know where you go from here. I I would, I would probably just start thinking in January if there was a decent offer to come in. I would be letting them go because, as oh, yeah, you, you've true. mentioned, the depth. I mean, if the depth is as good as it is at the moment, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be too fussed about keeping them. I think if somebody came in for him, I would just let him go because we're not getting anything out of him at all when he plays, and I just think it's pointless to keep him. Perfectly, to be perfectly honest.
2: Yeah, and as soon as Rashford is back, then he's going to be even further down the pecking order. The yeah. Game. Definitely. Taking up space from the likes of maybe because he's not going to get a game up front now. So then he ends up wide. And then, you know, I'd rather see a Langer or, yeah, we've not even mentioned, you know, that Armad has been out all season, but and will be out. All yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's still around. So, yeah, you know, Martial, for me, his time is up and he needs to go. And it's the best for him. You know, there is a player in there somewhere. Uh, but, yeah, that for me was his last chance. And, yeah, it's done and dusted. Well, yeah, I mean, I that rounds off a very depressing podcast. Uh, let's hope we have better things to talk about when we come back. We won't definitely be back after Villarreal, although, yeah, we did throw you one out against Young Boys, you lucky listeners, uh, last week. (laughs) That was also a a moaning session after a loss. But uh, unless something amazing happens, we'll probably just be back after the Everton game next week. So, yeah, that is a very sad and depressed good night from me. And, uh, yeah, we will see you back next week.